0: going to continue our series in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 tonight. So if you have your Bible, you can uh, flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're getting close to the end of Hebrews 11. We sure have gotten our mileage out of this wonderful chapter Uh, as we started it, I think pretty close to the beginning of the year, I think, and here we are in June, and how many of you have enjoyed our time looking at these heroes of the faith? All right. God bless all six of you. Amen. How many of you enjoyed our time looking at these heroes of the faith? Amen. <laughs> um, so we, we're getting close to the end. We have this week, and I think we have two more weeks uh, after this. And we're, we're looking at this, uh, starting in verse 32, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at this section. It's kind of the the junk drawer section of Hebrews 11, just kind of where you just throw everything that you don't know where it's supposed to go and you just kind of throw it all in there and it all kind of piles up. And so he, he kind of threw in the end a, a bunch of people from the Old Testament that uh, he didn't have time to expound on, but we're taking our time and, and looking at each one of them. And so after he walked through and talked about uh, the faith of, of all of the patriarchs and the heroes of the faith, Then in verse 32, we come to this section where he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. We we spent a week on Gideon. barak spent a week on him. Samson, Jephthah. Last week we looked at David. And today it brings us to Samuel and the prophets. Samuel and the prophets. In verse 33, it says, Who through faith or by faith, they did these exploits for the Lord. They conquered kingdoms. Enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Verse 35, it says, Women even received back their dead by resurrection. So tonight we're focusing in on Samuel and the prophets. Samuel and the prophets. So, Lord, speak to us through your word tonight. We thank you for just the very rich and full uh, day we've already had with you and, and, and in your presence today. Lord, amongst family, church family, we just thank you for everything that you've done up until this point. But, Lord, we still want from you what you want to do right here, right now. So give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us open hearts to receive what you want to speak to us through your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Samuel and the prophets. I I, want to look tonight uh, not so much at Samuel in particular as a case study, but the idea of Samuel as a prophet and the prophets that he mentions here in Hebrews. And of course, he's speaking of the Old Testament Prophets, as we've been walking through uh, the heroes of the faith from the Old Testament. But I do want to invite you to go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And Samuel is, the Bible tells us that he is the first prophet of Israel after Israel had been established in the promised land. So, Moses, of course, was a prophet used by God, uh, clearly identified as a prophet. Even Abraham in Genesis is identified as a prophet. But Samuel is recognized as the first prophet of the nation of Israel as they are in the land, as they have made it in. And what we see is after Israel came into the promised land through Joshua... And then the judges, the the period of the judges, after that came the period of the prophets and the kings, the prophets and the kings. And Samuel is that first prophet that is raised up by God. And so there are five aspects I want to look at tonight as uh, the ministry of the prophet as we're going to be studying Tonight, five aspects of the ministry. And the first one is their calling. Their calling. That every prophet was called by God. Many of them, we read about their calling in the Bible, and their calling was unique. Their calling was to set them apart for this. A ministry that God had provided or called them to. So they're set apart by God. Often these callings are unique and even sometimes dramatic. And so we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 3: the calling, the time that God called Samuel. Now Samuel was a young man who was born to a woman who had been barren. And she was unable to conceive and Uh, his mother went to the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant was and she made a petition to God, she made a promise to God that if God would give her a son, that she would give her son back to God to be dedicated to the Lord solely and wholly and completely set apart for whatever purpose God would have for him. And so God blessed her and, and, and granted her request. And so as soon as the child Samuel was weaned, off of uh, his mother, she brought him to the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the ministry of the sacrifices were performed. And she left him there to be raised in the house of God by a priest named Eli. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, it tells us the story about Samuel's calling. It says, now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And so Though Eli's not his father, he raises him uh, to minister before the Lord in the, the sacrifices and the offerings at the tabernacle. But it tells us that the word of the Lord was rare in those days or scarce in those days. That, that there was not a prophetic vision, there wasn't prophetic words going out, that, that God was not speaking to his people in those days. In verse 2, it says, At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So it's at nighttime. They put themselves to bed to go to sleep. In verse verse 4, it says, The Lord called Samuel, and he said here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Lie down again. And so Samuel hears his name called. He hears his name called. Now this story, 1 Samuel chapter 3, is the first Bible story that I ever remember being taught as a child. I remember so vividly my grandmother, Ruth Bell, teaching me this story as a little kid. And I have a picture I brought uh, with me of my grandma (laughs) teaching me the Bible. Now, I don't know if she was teaching me this story at that time, but I think she was because you can see the look of terror on my face (laughs) as the way she told me this story absolutely terrified me because when she would say Samuel, she would say it in the voice of God, as coming through Ruth Bell. And so she would say, Samuel, Samuel. And that's why my eyes are bugging out like that, because it absolutely terrified me. Now, I'm getting back at her, because I'm showing her a picture of her in her pajamas to the church, but she would be absolutely mortified if she knew that would ever happen. But So what goes around comes around. But anyway, I I remember this so vividly, her teaching me this story of God calling Samuel. So Samuel hears his name called, and he goes to Eli, the priest, and he says, here I am, for you called me. And Eli says, I didn't call you, my son. Go lie down. Now, verse 7, it says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord... And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again. Samuel. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Eli says, I didn't call you. Go lie down. So Samuel went and lied down. Verse 8, it says, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears you. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord calls Samuel to the ministry that God has for him. The Lord even reveals to Samuel some of the things that are going to take place shortly in the nation of Israel. And so here we see this this dramatic calling we see this being set apart by the Lord. And it's not just, the, it's not just Samuel that has a, a calling like this as the, the first Old Testament prophet, but the last prophet of the Old Covenant is someone that we don't often think of as part of the Old Covenant, but he was. The last Old Covenant prophet was a man named John the Baptist. He's the last of the Old Testament Old Covenant prophets. We think of him as being part of the New Covenant sometimes because he's in the New Testament, but he comes before Christ, so he's still part and under the Old Covenant. But likewise, in Luke chapter 1, and we won't take time to go there tonight, but Luke chapter 1 tells the, the dramatic way in which God had uh, called John the Baptist and set him apart for a ministry, a prophetic ministry, before he was even born it's interesting to me that the first Old Testament prophet and the last Old Testament, Old Covenant prophet, were both born to women who had been barren, but through the miraculous intervention of God, uh, they uh, came. They were able to conceive, but God had had allowed that so that their lives would be set apart for a specific purpose. And we see John the Baptist as as a prophet, set out the forerunner of Christ before he's even conceived in his mother's womb. But it's not just those two. Isaiah chapter 6, when God calls Isaiah, again, we won't take time to go there tonight, but he has this revelation of God on his throne, and God comes and takes the, the, the tongue, and he purifies Isaiah's mouth, and he sends him to be a prophet. Jeremiah, we see Jeremiah being called. We also remember the calling of of Jonah, how God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah booked a first-class ticket to the opposite direction of Nineveh. He he didn't want to go. He ran from the call of God. And so what we see about the Old Testament prophets is their calling. They, They had this unique call by God, and they were uniquely set apart by God for, number two... Their ministry, so we looked at their calling and now their ministry. What was the ministry of the prophet? What was their job? What had they been called to do? Well, the ministry of the prophet is they were called to proclaim the literal word of God. The very words of God Almighty, they were called to, to speak them, to proclaim them. Some 1,200 times in the Old Testament prophets, it's recorded that they said, thus saith the Lord. Some 1,200 times they they literally said, these are the words of God. These are the words of Yahweh. Flip over with me to to 2 Peter chapter chapter 1. 2 Peter gives some commentary on the prophets prophetic ministry And we're going to start in verse 20 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 20 He says knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So you have to understand that when Peter is writing and he's talking about prophecy and Scripture, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. He's literally writing the New Testament. So when he's talking about the Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament, the Old uh, Testament prophets. So he says, knowing this, first of all, this is of first importance, don't forget this, don't miss this, that that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So the Old Testament prophets who claimed to be speaking from God, it didn't come from them. Verse 21 says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the ministry of the prophet was to to lift up their voice and to proclaim the message That God had given them, word for word, literally the word of God. Not from their own will, but they spoke from God, he says, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit literally carried them and carried their words so that they were being inspired by the Holy Spirit with the very words that they said and the very words that they spoke. This is what they had been called by God to do. To bring God's revelation of who he is and his will. This is the only way that we can know God. How do we know God? He has to reveal himself to us. He has to to show himself to us. And he's revealed himself to us through these men who were set apart. Many of them from before they were even born. For this special ministry of proclaiming the very word of God. And so they would lift up their voice and say, Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. And here Peter affirms that what they produced, what they spoke, are the very words of God. Now, why would Peter say this? Well, because this is what Jesus taught him. This is what the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, taught Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples If you go to Luke chapter 24, which we won't take time to do, it tells how Jesus walked through the Old Testament and explained to his disciples everything in the scriptures concerning himself. That Jesus quoted from time and time and time again from the Old Testament scripture as a Bible teacher, believing that it was from God and it was authoritative. So why does Peter say this? Well, because this is what he was taught by Jesus. Now, if you look at, if we stay here in in 2 Peter, keep keep that spot, because we're going to come back to it. But if we now go back to the Old Testament, I want to look at the requirements that God gave for this ministry. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 13, God gives some direction through Moses about prophets who will arise in Israel's future. Now, of course, this is before they go into the promised land. This is while actually they're on the cusp of entering the promised land and Moses is giving them some final instructions. He knows that God will raise up prophets to speak to them. And so he gives them some guidelines to keep them safe. And so in Deuteronomy 13, verse 1, it says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass. Okay, so he, he gives a, a miracle or some sort of sign or some sort of word, prediction, prophecy, and it comes to pass. Well, what do we do? And he, he, here's the criteria. Here's the criteria. God says, if that prophet says, let us go and worship other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He's saying, if a prophet arises, And tells you something, even predicts the future. And even if it comes to pass. But he then starts to lead you astray after other gods to worship other other gods other than me. Don't listen to that prophet. Don't follow that prophet. He says, verse 4, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments. So you don't listen to the false prophet that's leading you astray. Instead, you hold fast to what? The word of God the commands of God and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Verse five, and here's where it tells us that the stakes on prophecy are really high under the old covenant. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery he says God goes on to say you shall purge the evil from your midst so the the first test is the devotion test is this prophet devoted to the lord is 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 his prophetic word is are the things that he is saying are they leading you closer to the lord who delivered you from egypt Or are they leading you astray after other gods? That's the first test, the devotion test. There's a second test given in Deuteronomy 18, just a few pages over. It goes back again to the issue of prophet and prophecy. And let's start in verse 20, 18 verse 20. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. So here he's reaffirming this devotion test. Is the prophet devoted to the Lord? Does he obey God and does he point you to the one true God? But verse 21, it raises an interesting question. It says, if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word that the Lord has, how how may we know the word that the Lord has spoken? How do we know if it's from God or not? Verse 22, he says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And so how do we know? Here are these two tests that God gives to Israel under the old covenant for the ministry of the prophet. These two tests. They were to proclaim the word of God, the literal word of God. How do we know if these prophets, these people who are claiming to speak for God, how do we know if they're true or false? How do we know if it's from God or not? Because they're all saying, thus saith the Lord. He says, do they lead you astray to other gods? If so, don't follow them. In fact, it's a capital offense what they've done. And then the second criteria is the accuracy test. Does it come to pass? If it doesn't come to pass... God says they are a false prophet. And so under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, there was this devotion test, which is if you're a false prophet, you are to be stoned. And there's the accuracy test, which is you have to get it right every single time. There's no like 99.9% under the Old Covenant for the prophets. It had to come to pass. It had to come about for them to know that it was true from God and that they were a true prophet. And so, under the Old Covenant, 100% accuracy was the test of a true prophet. So, that's their calling, that's their ministry to proclaim the literal word of God. Now, thirdly, tonight, I want to look at their message. So, we looked at their calling, their ministry, Their message, what was the message that they would proclaim? What was it that they were proclaiming to Israel about? Well, usually about 80 to 90% of what the prophets proclaimed was a message of repentance. It was repentance. They were calling God's covenant people back to faithfulness because they had wandered off into idolatry the Old Testament prophet I know we tend to think of them predicting the future all the time and yes there was some of that and there is some of that but the great bulk of their prophetic ministry was reminding God's people of what God had already said of calling people back to the commandments calling people back to covenant faithfulness with God if you look at the ministry of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, of even Elisha and Elijah, they're, they're calling God's people to turn away from idol, idolatry, to turn away from false gods and to live for the Lord. Reminding people of what God had already said. The prophets, in their message, they, their, their messages were often black and white. There was not a whole lot of ambiguity or gray area in the prophet's message. And their messages were often abrasive, very sharp, rough around the edges. In fact, it was more like a brick. I mean, like, it's all edges. There, there's... There's, it's, not a, it's not a very smooth message. They were abrasive messages. They were shocking messages. Why? Because these prophets, their message was meant to jolt people out of their complacency, to, to wake people up to the reality of their sin and to call them back to faithfulness to God. And so some of the examples of their messages that were shocking... One of the prophets named Hosea, God had him to to proclaim the message he wanted to proclaim to Israel. His, His message was that Israel has become a prostitute and is prostituting herself out to other gods. But that Israel was to be solely devoted to the Lord as her God, as a faithful wife is to her husband. And so God's message to Israel at that time is, you're being a prostitute with these other gods. And so God has Hosea go and marry a prostitute named Gomer. He calls the prophet to go and to marry a literal prostitute who then is unfaithful to him and plays the harlot while she's married to the prophet. So that God could put on display through Hosea the way my wife is treating me is the way you are treating God. And that how Hosea, even though his wife was unfaithful to him, how he remained faithful to her. Just how God has remained faithful to his people even when our faith is weak. And how Hosea, through his love for... And we tend to think of love in just totally emotional categories, and it's a great downfall. Love is a commitment. Love is a covenant. Love is a dedication. Love is a series of, of commandments that we fulfill to one another in obedience to the Lord. Hosea, through his love for his, his prostitute wife, wins her back to himself. The way God is going to do with his covenant people that's Hosea's message. He called Isaiah to preach naked and barefoot for three years three years. how many of you i I'll be the first to say I'm glad God doesn't still call people to do that It's shocking, but this was for this was Uh, this message of he had to go and preach naked for three years and barefoot was to the nations of Egypt and Ethiopia. And what he was saying is that these nations would be led into captivity by Assyria, shamed and naked, fully exposed. And his message was to Israel that they had been relying upon their treaties with Egypt, thinking that Egypt would be their savior against Assyria. But his message was that God's people needed to look to God, not to the arm of the flesh, to save them. We don't put our our faith in the systems of the world. We put our faith in God. He told Ezekiel to go and cook his dinner using human dung as his fire, as his fire, you know, the law... The literal logs for his fire, <laughs> and, and this was to show how God was about to besiege Jerusalem and how the inhabitants were going to have to eat defiled food. And Ezekiel haggles with God and he says, I can't do this. I'm sorry, I've, no, I've, I've nothing as defiled has ever entered my body. I, I, can't, I can't do this, and so God says okay, you can use cow dung instead of human dung. Oh, thanks a lot, God. You see, these are hard messages meant to penetrate hard hearts. See, a soft message, a feel-good message, uh, everything is fine and everything is wonderful and... You're just a snowflake and God's so enamored with you. That's not going to penetrate hard hearts. It is the hard message that is designed to penetrate the hard heart. So that's their ministry and their message and their calling. Number four, I want to look at their opposition. Their opposition. The prophets were often opposed by the people they were to go and prophesy to. God would send these prophets usually to the the kings of Israel and Judah to call them back to faithfulness, to call them to fulfill their duty as God's rulers. They would go and they would prophesy to, to uphold justice and to uphold righteousness in the land, speaking to these government rulers. And what would happen is these kings would declare them to be outlaws. The prophets would be outlaws and the prophets would have a bounty on their head and the prophets would be hunted. And the kings hated God's prophets because they called them to repentance. They called them out on their sin. They pronounced God's judgment on those who would not repent. We see Elijah being chased and hunted by Ahab and Jezebel that he goes into hiding for three years. He's living in such abject poverty that God has to feed him by the ravens, which were even unclean animals, unclean according to the Jewish kosher laws, because of his message that he preached to the government. And so they were to call those leaders back to faithfulness to follow God. They were outlawed because of it. And so that's, that's sort of opposition from the outside, but the, the prophets also faced opposition from the inside as their ministries were plagued by false prophets. Prophets. These false prophets who would arise in their time who were much more numerous than the true prophets who claimed to to represent God, but they would only preach and proclaim the message that the kings wanted to hear. We see an example of this in 1 Kings chapter 22. I would encourage you to go and read that. It's an incredible account. Of 400 prophets prophesying to King Ahab, you're going to win the battle. You're going to win the victory. Go forth in the power of the Lord. And there's one prophet who says, no, it's going to end in disaster. 400 to 1 was the ratio. The false prophets were more popular, better funded, more respected, had positions of power. They were professionals, and quote-unquote successful. They had the favor of the government. They had the favor of, of people of influence because they only told them what they wanted to hear. But in the end of, at the end of the day, they, didn't, they were not true prophets. So not only did they face opposition from the outside, from the government, the kings, they also faced opposition from quote-unquote the inside, the church, those people who claim to represent God. Their ministry is plagued by false prophets. And so that then brings us to the New Testament. We're part of the New Covenant. How many of you are glad we're part of the New Covenant? Amen. And as we, if you read the book of Hebrews the new covenant's just better. It's better than the old covenant. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better high priest. We, we have a better system. We, we have better promises. It, the new covenant that we have in Christ is better, better, better. And so when we make this transition from the old covenant into the new covenant, where does prophecy fit into all of this? Now, I am a continuationist. I believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. I believe that God still speaks to us today. That He leads us by His Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is still moving. But even though the Holy Spirit is still moving, we have to be very clear that the Bible is not still being written. Scriptures, the canon of Scripture is complete. It is closed that God's ultimately uh, ultimate authority stands firm and fast there's not a part bible part 2 still being written somewhere there's not another testament of Jesus Christ sorry Joseph Smith so while the lord is still speaking and while the holy spirit is still moving the bible is not still being written and so when we start talking about the Old Covenant and New Covenant and, and prophecy, I, I want to draw a distinction for you. And, and I do want to say that on, on this point in particular, this fifth point, uh, there's a lot of room for charity in, in this. There's a, and when I say charity, I, I just mean Christian, uh, Christians don't always see eye to eye exactly on these points. It's an in-house discussion among believers. But we at Destiny are continuationists. We're not cessationists. The, the Holy Spirit is still moving today. He is still speaking today. He is still pouring out His Spirit today. Amen, amen, amen. If you go with me to Ephesians 2, and th- this is my last point and we're, we're wrapping this up, but I, I, I want to help you. I want to draw a distinction for you that I think will be helpful for you. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but people still call themselves prophets today. Have you noticed that? Especially around elections. (laughs) Seems that prophets just spring up everywhere. Most of them prophesying from the front seat of their car. I don't know what's up with that, but a lot of them seem to really hear God speak to them from their car. They turn on their video camera and thus saith the Lord. And so I anticipate that as we move into towards November, we'll probably see more of that. And certainly in two more years, it's going to be ramped up again. If the Lord tarries, amen. Amen. So, uh, Second uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse nineteen. So we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The household of God, of course, is the church. Verse twenty, he says that household of God, the church, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the foundation of the church is built upon the apostles and the prophets. And so when he speaks of the prophets here, again, and I said this is, there's room for charity here, and so I fully understand that. Other people have other explanations on this and I, I have those discussions and debates and they are very friendly and very loving. But I believe that God here, that, that he's talking about when he mentions the foundation as the apostles and prophets, he's talking about the prophets of the Old Testament that we have in the scripture and he's talking about his apostles that he appointed in the New Testament. And specifically the 12 apostles that he called Minus Judas, we know he's not included in that. And I know the disciples added an an apostle to replace Judas. And then Jesus himself adds one more, the apostle Paul. And so I, I believe that when he's talking about the apostles here and prophets, that he's not saying that the church, that the church's foundation is still being laid and still being built that those who call themselves prophets or apostles today are not, are not the foundation of the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the, the foundation of the church, Christ the cornerstone, is the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. And, and this group of people is closed and their writings have ceased. And so you could say in some sense that the foundation of the church with Christ as the cornerstone is the Scriptures, the Word of God. That the church being built on the apostles and the prophets, we have their words, we have their message contained in the Scripture. Now if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, flip over with me one page. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7. It talks about God, uh, Christ ascending into heaven on high and when he did, he poured out his Holy Spirit and when he poured out his Spirit, he gave gifts to men, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so verse seven says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So all of us, when we, are, are, when we come to Christ and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives to us gifts of his Spirit. And we don't all receive the same gift. And we're to use our gifts for the mutual upbuilding of the church. And so in verse 8 it says, and here he quotes from Psalm 68, he says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now verse 9 and 10, he talks about where Christ ascended to. And since we've talked a lot about that, This morning already that he's seated far above and ruling and reigning from the highest places. We're we're just going to skip that little parenthesis of of verse 9 and 10 and go back to verse 11. And so what are the gifts that he has given to the church through the Holy Spirit? Verse 11, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, that's also translated as pastors, and teachers. So I I believe that what we have here is Paul talking about, in chapter 2, the Old Testament office of the prophet, which is, I believe, closed, and the New Testament ministry of those who have the gift of prophecy, which here he describes as the Holy Spirit through Christ when he ascends, pouring out gifts to men. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, because the work of the ministry has not ceased, for the building up of the body of Christ. And how long do these gifts operate? Verse 3, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and grow up into mature manhood. So what this is ministry is to do of these gifts of the Holy Spirit is there to mature the church. To mature the church, and he says that when we do that, when those who have these gifts, the gift of apostle, the gift of a prophet, or the gift of prophecy, I should say, an evangelic gift, a pastoring gift, a teaching gift, that it equips God's people to do the work of the ministry. And then it says, verse 14, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the winds of doctrine and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So what am I saying in this? I'm saying that I see, not everybody sees this, and so there's room for discussion here, But I see a distinct difference from the ministry of the prophet in the Old Testament and the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. I see a uh, criteria laid out for the Old Testament which required 100% accuracy all the time or you were stoned. I don't see that criteria in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 14, we don't have time to go there tonight... But verse 3 tells us that the gift of prophecy is for the upbuilding and encouragement of and, and comfort of believers. And later on in that chapter, it says that when people use their gift of prophecy, others should weigh what they say. I, is this accurate or is this not inac- or is this inaccurate? That, that they should weigh it out, that they should test it. 1 Corinthians 5 says that as well. When the, It says, do not despise prophecy, but test all things and hold fast to what is true. And so it seems to me that within the ministry of, of the gift of prophecy, that it comes built in and baked in that, hey, you're going to need to test this. You're going to need to check this. You're going to need to run this by something because it might not be accurate. And so even when talking about prophecy in the New Testament, it tells us to check it, to weigh it, to test it. And so then the question arises, well, what do we test it according to? The foundation that's already been laid of the prophets and the apostles. The foundation that's already been laid. The word of God is the ultimate authority. And so the Bible is not being added to Words of prophecy given today are not to be received as the same, on the same level as Scripture. We must test it according to the Word of God, and what tests to be true, we hold on to. I've shared many times how I've been blessed in my life through prophetic words and the ministry of the gift of prophecy I've also shared how many times I've been not blessed by things that were off and nevertheless claimed to be from God that did not line up with God's Word. I've seen people very blessed by the gift of prophecy and I've seen people very hurt by the gift of prophecy. And when people get hurt by prophecy in the New Testament, It's when they receive it as a word from God, literally. And they don't check it according to the word of God. You see, we don't stone prophets anymore. And the criteria is not the same. Because the scripture is not still being written. And prophets today, I believe, don't operate in the office, but rather in the gift. And that's how I see it. You might see it differently, and that's okay. But I see this distinction. Nevertheless, I think that what the Scripture calls us to do is anybody that claims to speak for God, we say, well, does it line up with what God has already said? Because if it doesn't line up with that, then I'm not going with it. Additionally, the gift of prophecy is not used to tell the future, but for the upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So, scripture is the ultimate standard over any prophetic word that is given. The canon of scripture is closed. What we also don't see today is one person who is anointed with the office of the prophet who has the be- ability to speak authoritatively to all of God's people. The Old Testament prophets had that authority. The Old Testament prophets spoke authoritatively to all of God's people for all time. There's nobody on earth alive today that speaks for God in that way. Of course, unless you're Catholic, then you think the Pope is that person. That is a little bit of a joke, but it's honestly true. So We don't believe that one person is the mouthpiece for God because he has spoken in his word. We do believe in the gift of prophecy for upbuilding encouragement and comfort just as was shared with us tonight. For our, How many of you were encouraged by that word tonight? It was an encouraging word that goes along with God's word. That's a perfect example of the gift of prophecy in effect. But if Doug comes up to you tonight and he would never do this, and he says, you're supposed to marry so-and-so, thus saith the Lord. Well, how can, I, how can I run that through the Word of God? How can I test that? Or thus saith the Lord, you know. So, the prophetic gift today is for encouragement, is for building up, is for strengthening the body of Christ and those that have the gift are to be declaring the word of god this is what god has said not predicting the future i'm very skeptical of self-appointed prophets who claim to predict the future very skeptical especially when they're wrong all the time i mean that's like seems pretty obvious I told you to keep your finger in 2 Peter. There are people today that claim to have visions from God. Joseph Smith was one of those. There are people all over the place who are prophesying that Trump was going to win the election. And then when he didn't, they say, well, he really won, but... It was stolen from him, so I'm not a false prophet because he really did win. Even though they said things like, he is going to be in the White House, and I decree and declare in the name of Jesus that this is from God, blah, 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 blah. What's that? Could it still happen? They said in 2020. I heard a lot of those two yeah. Yeah. No, I heard he's going to be in the Oval Office. Yeah, yeah. So anywho, so the one I heard was wrong. And I I think when someone makes such a bold declaration for them to come back and say, yeah, well, you know, he really did kind of win, but it's just, that's not what they were saying. That's not what they were saying. And so if they then come back and say that that is what they're saying, then they're even being deceptive, I think, even in that. I don't think so, because I, I really, the, the, though they didn't, mo- most of those prophecies had a fulfillment in their day, and they also have a future fulfillment that we're looking forward in the ultimate fulfillment of Christ. Uh, but especially if you look at Isaiah and Ezekiel, those were fulfilled in a particular way in their day, and we're looking forward to an ultimate fulfillment in Christ. So... Um, Anyway, back to 2 Peter. Peter, who witnessed Jesus transfixed before him, he says, we were an eyewitness on that mountain. We saw Jesus transfigured. Verse 17, he received honor and glory from the Father and a voice born out of heaven out of the majestic glory said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. But Peter says we have something more sure. We have something more sure than my subjective vision. We have something more sure than my subjective experience. What is that? The prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention to As a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing then that first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, which we already looked at the second half of that. What Peter is saying is you you shouldn't go around just following anybody who claims they heard from God or had a vision from God. What you should do is pay attention to the written word of God. That's what you ought to be focusing on. And if you're just following this prophet and that prophet, you're actually going to be led into every wind of doctrine. But what we need to be doing, Peter, according to Peter, who saw Jesus, he says, don't listen to me and my subjective experience. Listen to something that is even more sure, the fulfilled prophetic word of God. And we likewise need to be more and more in the word than on YouTube listening to prophets. But I do pray that God would raise up prophetic voices in our generation, but not to predict election outcomes, but to call God's covenant people back to faithfulness, to call people back to holiness, to call people back to fellowship with God, to call people to a single hearted devotion to the Lord and to obey him. To raise up some prophets who will stand and boldly declare, this is what God has said. To, like the prophets, preach repentance and faith. And to preach the coming judgment of God. That's what we need today. We need people who will call people's attention back to the word of God not to predicting election outcomes. Because why? Because God's the one that puts people in power and removes people from power. And who can understand the mind of the Lord? I certainly can't. Who has been his counselor? Not a single one of us in here. But we know what God has said because we have his word. Hallelujah. And you will never be led astray with this. Amen? Amen amen. Why don't we stand tonight? I believe even as uh, Doug shared earlier, that God is raising up people who will arise and shine, and that God is even going to put his word in your mouth to be a prophetic voice. Again, not to predict the future, but to encourage people, to build people up, to comfort people with the word of God and to declare, thus says the Lord, God has spoken and this is what God has said. And God can use any single one of us in here to do that. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would uh, push it down deep into our hearts and Lord, help us to walk in faithfulness to you and with you. Lord, we thank you that you are always uh, purifying us and helping us to be more faithful to you. Help us, Lord, to be hungry to hear your voice. And Lord, that we would be so tuned in to the voice of our shepherd because you said your sheep hear your voice and that we would hear the voice of you and your leading and your guiding. We would be obedient to your word in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.